1: Let me ask you, do you have direction? Do you have a plan? Do you have a goal? If not, we're going to help you with that today as it relates to our call from Scripture. Join us. Proverbs 29, without a vision, the people perish, and indeed, Our lives become useless if we have no vision, no goal, direction, future. And God tells us here in Proverbs 29 that that's not a good thing. So we'll help you with that. What is your goal, your plan, your vision? Well, stick around and join us. From Valley Bible Church right here in Hercules, let's catch up with our teacher and pastor, Pastor Phil Howard. For today's broadcast of Truth For Today... As we take a look at the vision we should have, unless we perish.
2: I want to speak this morning on uh, four things, four things we can learn from tragedies. Four things. I think a big issue comes up when things like this happen. Is God in charge? Did Mother Nature determine these events? Or did God... And does God orchestrate everything? And so there is an issue in theology that says, is, if God is all good, is he all-powerful? And this is the famous atheistic rebuttal of theism or Christianity, that God is either all-good and not-powerful, as Rabbi Kushner said in his book, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? He said, God is good, but at times, uh, he's not powerful. He's not able to even control what happens. And so, uh, he just, he's just, he's a nice God that just isn't in charge. The other view would be, uh, he's all powerful, but he's not all good. Because if he's all good, how can he allow bad? How can he permit evil? So they figure they have a great conundrum. But God is sovereign. And that means uh, he's in charge of everything. And he said in Ephesians, he made a plan, a purpose. And in that, every end, every means, uh, every event, the fall of man, Nothing has ever caught God off guard. And uh, so you could say this, I'd rather erase God and just put it in the realm of chance. Everything is by chance. So if that gives you comfort, uh, go to Las Vegas and start throwing the dice. You're living in a chance world. If you're a believer, even when there's bad, It's amazing how we find comfort in God to know there is a God there that nothing has caught him off guard. And it's comforting, even though we can't explain the pain. But the natural thing is uh, these people are either bad and deserve to have their house burned or luck and nature just ganged up. Look at Psalms 46. And then we're going to, go into four scriptures that will move through to say four things we can learn. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So no matter what is going on, he controls nations, he controls chariots, he controls the earth, he controls wind, wave, sea, fire, earthquakes, all of this. And then you read in Matthew 24 that as the end of time comes and we face the coming of the Lord The earth will be like a woman in travail, and there'll be multiple earthquakes, natural tragedies. God, it's just like the earth is heaving up all the sin that's gone on it, and it's groaning, groaning for a day when God will redeem even the earth and free it from the curse. In the meantime, what can we learn? What can we learn? And I'm going to have you turn four different places in the Bible, and I gave you an outline here. Let's begin with Luke 13. Luke 13, a mysterious passage that uh, <clears throat> for years I, I was bothered by it. Look at it, Luke 13. There were some present at the very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So he slaughtered people, and he took their blood, their human blood, and mixed it with the mortar. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all Likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell, a natural disaster. The first one's an evil man. And our man in Las Vegas that kills 58 people. That we know where that came from. We got a wicked man with a wicked scheme. But now when the tower caves in, there's no moral culprit. There's nobody morally responsible for the tower caving in. We'd call that a natural disaster. And it says, of those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What in the world are you telling us, Lord? While well, he's taking on a very common explanation for problems, it was the Jewish way of explaining most problems, like Job's comforters. If you're having a bad time, it's because God is tracking you down for your sins. You've been caught and God is judging you. And Jesus refuted this thinking. He did it in John 9, when they said, Who sinned this boy's parents? or him. He was born blind. Somebody's done something wrong. It doesn't just happen that way. There's got to be somebody being wrong. Jesus said, no, no. You can't trace it to sin in either case. But then he says, <clears throat> instead of us trying to figure out how bad, why did they get it, and why did their house burn and yours didn't burn? And in the midst of that, he's saying, No, no, don't be judging the why of tragedy. Don't be impugning anything wrong with these people. We have believers that lost their home. We know people that lost their home. I talked to uh, uh, Pastor Chris Bauer. Forty-one families connected with their church lost their home. That's quite a few. Forty-one families in that church alone lost their home. Just think in this congregation, if we had 41 families now out of a house to live in, 41. That's quite, besides the 3,000 others that lost their place. So what does Jesus do? Jesus uses this and says, first of all, tragedy is indiscriminate. It can happen to anybody. Earthquakes hurricanes, whatever, indiscriminate. But what we need to know is he says all men are facing a catastrophic judgment, and it is their house will be set on fire, their soul will be on fire, for every man and woman faces eternal judgment, and the only escape is if they repent and that they flee to Christ. So instead of us judging who's good, evil, who deserves, who doesn't deserve, he said, I'm telling you, let these tragedies and disasters, ask yourself, and I'm, am I prepared to face God, and I, am I prepared to face like tragedy? Would I know God had I burned up in my house last night? Would I be prepared to face God? And fire insurance won't do it. There's only one way to be ultimately prepared to meet God, whether you're killed on an, a road, in a river, no matter, a massacre. We, everyone, it's dangerous to be alive. It's very dangerous. It's more dangerous to be unprepared to die. Right. Amen. Have you ever repented of your sins? Have you ever fled to the Lord Jesus Christ? And that's what he's saying. In these natural disasters, in these terrible offenses like of a pilot, the big issue is, am I prepared to meet God? And I do that by repenting and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first thing we ought to know. Are... Were these people saved that were killed in Las Vegas? Were they prepared to meet God? Are you prepared to meet God? If it should happen to you, would you be ready? Would you be prepared to meet God? Then let's go to the second thing. Let's go to chapter 12. Another story Jesus tells. Chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd uh, puts out a question to Jesus. Hey, me and my brother are squabbling over the inheritance. We need an arbiter. We need a lawyer, as it were. And he asked Jesus to settle the dispute over the will. And he said, hey, take care, verse 15, and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's quite a statement. Be on your alert. He told them, I'm not in the business of settling inheritance squabbles. That's not why I came. But let me warn you about this. Covetousness, greed, the lust for more is a disease you must be aware of. Jesus said, Brother Paul said a verse that I don't think we get, we even understand. What did he mean when he said, at the root of all evil is the love of money? Did God ever say that? First Timothy 6.10, he did. If you love money, it's the root of all the other sins you do. If you've got money, you can buy women. You can buy drugs. You can buy anything. You can buy whatever. And what money represents is human reliance. If I have money, I've got it covered. If I've got money, I've got security. If I've got money, I've got power. If I've got money, I've got prestige. And God's Word says the love of that kind of reliance and prestige is the root of all the other sins you commit. It's a reliance on stuff other than a reliance on God. And God said, it's an insult. It's idolatry. That's why he says covetousness, Colossians 3, 5, equals idolatry. You've got another idol in your heart that you're relying on. It's the love of money, human resources. That's all I need. He said, it's the root of all the other evils. And so then he goes on. He tells a story. The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. So far, so good. This guy's industrious. He's prosperous. And I will say to my soul, now right here is where the folly is, the, the self-talk that goes on. And watch now, I, my, the internal attitude and talking, I will say to my soul, soul, you've got it made. You've got enough money laid up in your 40, you know, 401K. You, you've, got it, you've got it made. You've got enough money. For many years, relax, eat, drink, be merry. Sound like an American. But God said to him, fool. Why is a man a fool that is this prosperous? I mean, this is a business whiz. This guy's having to build more barns because he knows how to farm so well that everything is increasing, increasing, increasing. He is booming. He is booming. And if you were in that category, we'd say, that's one of the successful men in our church. How would you say that? His money is exponentially expanding. He has to be great. Because we give status to people who know how to make money. It's not easy to do. So that great achievement. But watch what in all this self-talk. Fool. God interrupts his self-talk. You fool. This night. Maybe last Sunday night. In Santa Rosa. 40 have died so far. This night. Your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Who gets the stuff? So is it with the person who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You don't know God. You've never repented. Uh, You don't have time for God. You're too busy making money. You're too busy prospering. If half of us worked as hard at knowing God as we do to make a buck, you'd be amazed at how your spiritual life would be abounding. We know some people, the only thing that gets their attention is put money in front of them. They'll they'll sacrifice principle, they'll sacrifice morals, they'll work every Sunday, they won't take any time off. Money is the determiner of everything, and here he says, you put all your investments in one area of life that will be lost in the night, and besides that, you will be lost in the night, too late to repent. Too late to tell me when you come before God, but God, I've got 10 million in the bank. He said, in heaven, you've got nothing. You've never invested in things eternal. All your investments were lost in a fire or in a night in this man's case. I want, how many people, I'm going to make a bet with you. Let's make a bet. How many of you bet You'll be alive tomorrow and guarantee it. Let's go. Take the bet. Well, if you die tonight, will you have repented? And will have, you, will you, have you ever invested any time to know God? Because you're going to meet God and you can't lie and get away. He's going to say, no, you chase money. You chase sports, you chase pleasure, you chase this, but you had no time, so I have no time for you. And that will be your eternal verdict. You'll never be bothered by me for eternity. Brutal, cruel. I'm giving you time to invest in things that will outlast fires. Knowing God is the most important thing you can do with your life. While you're here, don't spend it all on perishable items. Perishable items. Let's go to James 3. James 3. Third thing I believe we can learn is uh, to walk humbly with God and to think humbly about tomorrow. Uh, How many. Of you when you say, tell people you'll be there, say the Lord willing. How do you know one? We say, I'll see you tomorrow. You will? Guarantee me that. Listen to what James says. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. I mean, I have to be honest with you. I was reeling from Las Vegas. It was a Sunday night, right? Sunday night is when we got all the news of the massacre. We're reeling from that news, and I'm glued to it. I was glued to, uh, when I was on vacation, I was glued to the TV Watching Houston being inundated with all this water, and I, I couldn't get away from the TV. Said I, wanted to see what's the outcome. What's the outcome? Then, last Sunday night, a week ago Sunday night, I'm following detail by detail. What? How does this guy get up there with all these guns? How can you pull off a massacre? Ba 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 ba. And then. At 2 in the morning or so, the warning's out. Santa Rosa's on fire. Oh, oh, well, we have fires all the time. They'll get it out. They're still burning. They're still finding dead people. We got 200 missing. And here he says, you can go to bed tonight and say, we're doing this tomorrow. We're doing that. And James says, I'm telling you, you shouldn't think that way other words, you probably shouldn't plan or think over 24 hours ahead. Go ahead and buy your plane tickets, but just so we may not be using them. Maybe you can insure them. They might cover you when you go to heaven. But look at it. And he's, been, he's taken on pride in the chapter and so he says, You don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? Lord, I'm important. No, you're just a miss." You're just passing vapor from the teapot. You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. What will my family do without me? Ah, grieve and then spend the insurance money. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. What? As it is, you boast in your arrogance. God's not against planning. He's against proud planning.
1: And that will conclude our time today here on Truth For Today from Valley Bible Church in Hercules with our teacher and pastor, Phil Howard. As we close out our broadcast, we would invite you to join us for worship